Hello, and welcome to the Dr. Jocker's Functional Nutrition Podcast, the show designed to give you science-based solutions to improve your health and life. I'm Dr. David Jockers, doctor of natural medicine and creator of drjockers.com, and I'm the host of this podcast. I'm here to tell you that your body was created to heal itself, and on this show, we focus on strategies you can apply today to heal and function at your best. Thanks for spending time with me, and let's go into the show. Are hidden toxins and stressors making you feel run down and tired? Worried about oxidative stress from exposure to EMF, 5G, heavy metals, chemicals, processed foods, and the like? You see, in our modern world, toxic is the new normal. No matter how health conscious you try to be, the truth is that every single day, you're being bombarded by harmful toxins and stressors. When left to roam free, these toxins take on the form of something called free radicals. Free radicals promote an unhealthy inflammatory response and contribute to oxidative damage on a cellular level, basically like, uh, like the rusting of metal or the browning of an apple that potentially leads to premature aging, a lower quality of life, and a range of health problems. However, there is good news. Antioxidants are crucial in combating free radicals and keeping you on track. And one of the most powerful antioxidants known to man is glutathione. Glutathione fights free radicals and molecules that cause cellular damage while repairing DNA and flushing out toxins. But here's the thing. Not all glutathione supplements are created equal. If you're taking glutathione in capsule or tablet form, you're missing out on key nutrients as they will simply pass through your body without being absorbed. You can thank your stomach acid for that. However, our friends over at Purality Health have a patented formula that utilizes something called micelle liposomal technology, which delivers the nutrients into your bloodstream, proven to be 800% more efficient. Even better, it's backed by a 180-day money-back guarantee. And today we have a 30% off coupon for you. Just visit puralityhealth.com. That's P-U-R-A-L-I-T-Y-H-E-A-L-T-H.com and use the coupon code DRJ to access 30% off today. Again, that coupon code is DRJ. Use that at puralityhealth.com and check out their micell liposomal glutathione. Welcome back to the podcast. Today, we're talking about how gluten can destroy your brain and nervous system. We're going to go into the research on what it is that's in gluten and how that actually affects your gut health, how it affects your nervous system, if it's actually a neurotoxin. And so you're going to learn about how gluten is a brain and nerve toxin and the science behind that. We're also going to talk about some key nutrient deficiencies that exacerbate neurological problems and how gluten gluten exposure can actually cause you to have more nutrient deficiencies, how it causes major stress in your gut, uh, causes you to have poor nutrient absorption, and leads to a number of key nutrient deficiencies that can cause a lot of different health problems in your body. You guys are going to get a lot out of this podcast my guest is Dr. Peter Osborne. He is the clinical director of Origins Healthcare in Sugarland, Texas. He's often referred to as the gluten-free warrior, and he's one of the most sought-after functional medicine doctors in the country. His practice is centered on helping those with painful, chronic, degenerative, and autoimmune diseases. 
and he is the founder of Gluten-Free Society, the author of The Gluten-Free Health Solution and Glutenology, a series of digital videos and eBooks designed to help educate the world about gluten sensitivity. And he is the author of the bestseller, No Grain, No Pain. And he is the executive director and the vice president for the American Clinical Board of Nutrition. And he's on the advisory board up for Functional Medicine University. Dr. Osborne is a wealth of knowledge. You guys are going to love this interview. So without further ado, let's go into it. Well, Dr. Osborne, always great to have this conversation with you. I know you're an expert when it comes to gluten, when it comes to gut health, brain health, and the effect that food sensitivities can have on our overall health. And so, uh, you know, let's start the conversation by talking about the gut-brain connection and how what's happening in our gut actually impacts our brain. Yeah, I think I, it's such an amazing field of research in the last, really the last 20 years. I mean, there have been a number of texts, a number of, of research studies done on diet, right? Just generally how diet affects the microbiome and how the microbiome regulates the production of neurochemicals like serotonin and dopamine. And that in turn affects how we think and, you know, how we feel rewarded for our behaviors or how we feel depressed or how we might feel anxiety. And so, um, there's no shortage of research now connecting the microbiome and the food right to our thoughts. And I think many, many now in the field of psychiatry and, and neurobiology are turning to the microbiome to, to say depression is actually a form of intestinal leakage, right? Or of intestinal inflammation. You can call it neural inflammation, but it starts in the gut. And I think that's where really in my wheelhouse, that's where gluten really shines and comes in because we know there's so many different ways that, that gluten can impact the GI tract, but even not just gluten, also grain as a whole, right? For other reasons. Yeah, absolutely. And so, you know, there's a term called leaky brain. And I know that, uh, you know, I've talked about it in a lot of my discussions. And so leaky brain, you know, a lot of people have heard of leaky gut, right? That term came out, I don't know, eight, 10 years ago and became very popular in the functional medicine, natural health world. Leaky brain is kind of a new term that we're starting to understand. And it may be a, you know, it's, it's a strong indicator, a strong link between issues going on with leaky brain and mood disorders, um, increased neurological inflammation and neurodegeneration. So can you elaborate on that some more? Yeah. So if we, if we use gluten kind of as an example, one of the things that we know gluten can do just, just in people with gluten issues is it causes a disruption of the barrier of the cells in the GI tract, right? Leaky gut. Okay. And uh, so think of it as microscopic pinholes that are being punched in the tube of the gut lining. And what that happened, what happens next is that allows for poop to leak into the bloodstream, but even more, it allows there are certain bacteria that live in our gut. And when our gut is sealed, not a big deal. These bacteria will produce byproducts. One of the byproducts that's been discovered is called lipopolysaccharide or LPS. And what happens with leaky gut is this product can basically leak into the bloodstream and it can affect the blood-brain barrier. It can actually disrupt the blood-brain barrier, opening up, uh, opening up that barrier as well, allowing for things that shouldn't be allowed into the brain, right? And this is where some of that neurological inflammation can come in. So if you, if you back it up, again, leaky gut allows for the progression of chemicals to leach across the gut barrier that can then in turn affect the GI tract. 
And then, and then even beyond that, if we, if going again, deeper into gluten, the malnutrition that's caused by gluten for so many, you know, the B vitamin deficiency, the mineral deficiencies, you know, can disrupt the, the, the body's ability to repair, right? So if we're talking about, a, a, you know, the, the blood brain barrier is a, is a tissue, right? It's, it's epithelial tissue that has a tight seal. And in order for that seal to be formed, you need B vitamins, you need nutrients. And so with that malnutrition comes an inability to repair that barrier. And with that gluten damage comes the ability for that barrier to be broken down. So when you're breaking it down, but then you're malnourished to the level that you can't rebuild it, then it becomes progressively chronic and it allows for inflammation to really set into the brain over longer periods of time. And so again, beyond depression, beyond anxiety, what are we seeing? We're seeing cognitive decline, right? If you, if you will, dementia, not, you know, there's a lot of people think of Alzheimer's and it's a disease in the elderly, but we're seeing that much earlier. And I know you've probably seen that in clinical practice where people come in and it's not like they're forgetting their spouse's name, but um, they don't have the ability to walk into their kitchen and remember why they walked in there, right? And it's like, why did I come in here again? Or they go to their bedroom, why am I in here again? And that's kind of the early onset of that, that brain fog early onset before it becomes full-blown dementia, it becomes, I can't remember what I was supposed to be doing here in this place, right? And so it just kind of slowly progresses over a period of time, the longer it's allowed to perpetuate. Yeah, it's a really big issue. Cognitive decline, Alzheimer's, neurodegenerative conditions in general, huge issue, really growing. Um, and you know, the what's happening, the health of the gut is playing a significant role with that. Now let's go back to gluten. What is it about gluten? Cause you know, there's, I know there's like alpha gliadin, which is, a, you know, a protein component of gluten. Um, what is it about gluten that is contributing, you know, that's basically causing the leaky gut. I know that gluten, for example, stimulates zonulin, this protein zonulin release. Can you go into some of those kind of more of the uh, the mechanisms behind how this is causing leaky gut, leaky brain. Yeah. So for people with, it's important to know that for people with gluten sensitivity. So I, I want to be clear there because some people would argue that gluten is bad for everyone. Mm -hmm. I don't know that we know that. I don't know that we have enough research that, that, and I mean, I'm the biggest advocate of a gluten-free diet probably in the world, but at the same time, I think it's important to delineate, you know, for somebody who has gluten sensitivity. And, and the way I define that is genetically, if they have the genes, uh, the positive HLA-DQ genes that predispose them to react to gluten from an immunological perspective, then now we're in trouble because what happens is gluten um, is a protein. And really it's not, we use the term gluten as a singular term, but really it's a plural term. We should say glutens because there's, as you mentioned a minute ago, alpha gliadin, which is a type of gluten found in wheat, and then there's like cecalin found in rye and hordean found in barley and zane found in corn and orzanin found in rice. There's lots of different forms of gluten. I think um, it was 2010, it was a group of researchers from Australia discovered it was like 400 new forms of gluten. 40 of them were more toxic than the gliadin found in wheat. Mm. Um, and, and so we have to look at glutens as, as a whole. And, and that's why I say grain free as opposed as when I wrote my book, no grain, no pain. I didn't write no gluten, no pain, because the connotation that gluten is only found in wheat, barley and rye is incorrect, but it is an FDA approved definition. And globally, it's the accepted kind of definition for celiac disease. But again, 
we want to look at the family of gluten proteins. If you have the genetics for that reaction, what that means is when you subject your body to glutens of any kind or any form, your body is more going to perceive that gluten as an enemy, the same way it would perceive a virus or a bacteria that doesn't belong as a potential threat. And it's going to create an immunological or an immune response against that gluten to try to neutralize it. And so there are many different types of immune responses. One of them, it has to do with the interaction with something called uh, transglutaminase, which is an enzyme secreted in the small intestine. And so what happens is we get an autoimmune response against that. And then that can create damage to the lining and villus atrophy, which leads to leaky gut. There's also the connection that Fasano discovered, as you mentioned, where zonulin played a role, the disruption uh, of, the, of the gut barrier as a result of zonulin production. And other bacteria can do that too. Gluten's not the only thing. It's not the exclusive in causing leaky gut, but it is one of the most well-researched foods or food proteins that we know can do it. So there's, there's the, the autoimmune damage to the intestinal lining, which is actually celiac disease. Then there's the upregulation of zonulin. And then there's the immunological response that can lead to antibodies of other varieties that can also damage the gut. But also then there's an immune response that can lead to the production of chemicals called cytokines and interferons that can also damage the gut. And then there's now new research coming out showing that it can interact with a special receptor in the gut called, an, uh, called a, a toll-like receptor or a TLR, and th that it induces inflammation through toll-like receptors. And so there's all these different mechanisms and pathways. And that's the problem, uh, Doc, is that you get people go to their GI doctors and they get a, a celiac test, right? Which is really, even the celiac testing is not specific because basically what they're doing is a biopsy of the small intestine, and, and, and uh, you know, the small intestine is the surface of a, of a tennis court, right? The surface area. So it's, it's like taking little microscopic fragments of a tennis court and saying, this is the whole tennis court. And, it, it, you know, obviously you could have damage on one side of the court, not damage on the other. And it's the same with your intestines. So biopsies can give you a false negative as far as a diagnosis. But then you also have um, the blood tests that measure antibodies. One of the antibodies being for only for gliadin. Well, gliadin is one type of gluten found in wheat, but then you have antibodies like, like transglutaminase. And it's been widely shown that many people with gluten sensitivity do not produce transglutaminase antibodies. And so if you're getting those types of tests done and then your doctor says, oh, eat gluten all you want, you don't have celiac disease, it can be a very misleading thing. And that's, again, going back to genetic testing. If you have the genetic markers, that gives you the predisposition to react to those proteins in a negative way. And that's where it's a preventative issue because gluten sensitivity is not a disease. It's just, in my opinion, it's a state of genetics. You either have the genes or you don't. And if you have them and you eat gluten, then your body will view it as an enemy and it will attack or try to neutralize it. And if you don't have them, not so much. Now there are other aspects of grain beyond gluten that can cause immune responses. And that's different, right? So that's where some people, um, some people, for example, when they buy bread, and they react to it. And then they go over to Europe and they say, hey, I didn't feel as bad when I went to Europe. Well, glyphosate, which is a, a chemical, you know, pesticide sprayed, double sprayed on most grains today. Uh, there's also atrazine, which is another uh, chemical. And then there's, there are also other components to grain. Like there are, there are families of proteins and grains called amylase trypsin inhibitors and serpinins, which can cause immune responses that have nothing to do with gluten 
There's the fact that grains are a highly mold contaminated food and can contain mycotoxins, which can make people sick. So there are other aspects to grain that damage the, the gut lining and can cause leaky gut. Gluten is just probably the most famous. Mm. Yeah. Yeah. It's a really good rundown. So in summary there, celiac disease is really a late stage disease, not an early stage diagnosis. You're catching something way after many years after it's, it's developed in the body and your traditional uh, medical testing when it comes to celiac and when it comes to um, you know, gluten sensitivity in general is very limited because they're only looking at a certain fam, a certain group of of antibodies for a certain group of proteins, but not getting the whole wide spectrum of gluten sensitivity. And really, to go upstream, we want to look at the genes, the HLA DQ genes, which tell you if you have that predisposition or not. And you know, um, you also talked about obviously certain enzymes like transglutaminase as well. Um, you know, that can really factor in there. And then that was going to be one of my questions was a lot of people will say, yeah, I can't eat wheat in America, but I go to Italy and I'm able to consume bread and I feel great. And that, that could be a number of different factors could be what's being sprayed on the wheat could be, um, you know, the quality, perhaps there's more mold and mycotoxins on the wheat that you're eating here compared to there. So there's a number of other factors, but it's not, not necessarily the gluten component. Is that correct? That's correct. Yeah. So there's, that's why I always want to say differentiate whether or not you are gluten sensitive, because if you truly are gluten sensitive, don't go eat the grain in Europe. Mm, yeah. Um, because it, the, the other thing we know about, about gluten sensitivity is there's a fourfold increase in risk of death. If you don't change your diet and you don't want to, you don't, you don't want to give yourself the false impression that you can just go over there and gorge out on, on pasta and bread. Yeah, that's really good. And I mean, people definitely need to need to know that and understand that's very, very serious issue. And so, you know, when we're looking at uh, gluten sensitivity, what percentage, I know you do a lot of this genetic testing, what percentage of the population has gluten sensitivity genes? And I know, you know, when you're testing, you're looking at a certain stand, a certain population group that's coming in that has autoimmune conditions, has chronic health issues. So I'm sure the percentage is higher there. What would you say it is as a whole? And then what would you say it is for people that are dealing with chronic health conditions? In my experience with chronic health conditions, it's in the order of magnitude of 99%. At mm -hmm. least that's just based on my own personal clinical yeah. experience. Uh, as far as globally, I think, I think there are several researchers that have published on this topic. But if we're looking at what is the suspicion of gluten sensitivity, you know, on the scale of magnitude of everyone, right? So like some researchers say it's only celiac disease, therefore it's only like that 1%, which I don't agree with. And then, but, but there were some major pe uh, papers published in the World Journal of Gastroenterology that closer estimated about 7%. They, they believe that about 7% of the global population has a gluten sensitivity issue. And then there are doctors like myself who, who do a lot of this testing and we have different ideologies about, about quantitatively how many people actually have this issue. I personally believe it's closer to between 30 and 40%. Uh, a few others do as well. So um, I, without actually testing everyone in the world, I don't think we, we have an exact number that we can give. But I, I mean, if we're just going conservative estimation, 7%, that means if you're in a room and there's six people around you, one of you are gluten sensitive, and uh, and that's a that's a rather large number compared to how many people are actually trying to follow the diet. 
Yeah, well, without a doubt, that is a large percentage of people. And so when we're looking at some of the main symptoms, you know, a lot of people think it's mainly digestive issues because, of course, they've heard about celiac disease. But there's this, you know, growing about body of research looking at this condition, non-celiac gluten sensitivity. What are some of the hallmarks of that? Symptomatically, it, it it's very esoteric and it's it's very subtle until it's not. So, like as an example, many people will struggle with chronic inflammation, and I see a lot of people with joint pain that just won't go away. It was joint pain that was caused by a non-traumatic issue, so it's not like they injured their joint. It's not like they strained or sprained something, or you know, were lifting weights and you know and had an issue. It was just, hey, my my joints hurt all the time, and I don't know why, or my muscles are constantly sore and tight and I don't know why. So joint pain, muscle pain is a very common hallmark for many, uh, which is the, you know, again, that, that why I wrote no grain, no pain was to bring more awareness to that. But then there are also hormonal problems that we see a lot with females. So um, disruption in cycle, heavy PMS symptoms, uh, especially in the area of anxiety and depression around the cycle. We also see a lot of neurological problems associated with gluten. So neuropathies, uh, that's numbness and tingling in the hands and or feet, but also I would call neurological uh, neuropathy of the brain being brain fog, right? Which is lack of focus, lack of concentration, inability to remember things clearly, word recall problems are very early onset symptoms. We see a lot of skin manifestation. Eczema can be a manifestation of gluten sensitivity for many. So if you've got unexplained or um, uh, eczema diagnosed for unknown reasons or purposes and you're just rubbing the steroid cream, on your body to try to keep it at bay. You wanna look at gluten as a potential trigger. Um, there are other autoimmune skin conditions. One that is directly linked to celiac disease, it's called dermatitis herpetiformis. That's less common, but it looks like almost like chicken pox. It's like little blisters that raise on the skin. And then there's also a psoriasis and vitiligo that have been linked to gluten sensitivity. Another really big one that people aren't aware of is Hashimoto's. Um, Hashimoto's is, is, is um, there are a number of research studies now that link or that, that show that people that go gluten-free, their antibody levels completely plummet and drop and go away. So if you've been diagnosed with Hashimoto's based on, you know, thyroid peroxidase or any thyroglobulin antibody levels being elevated, you should ask your doctor to measure you for gluten sensitivity or do a trial gluten-free diet and see if your thyroid numbers don't dramatically improve because that's a very, very big one. Where, where people just don't realize they're connected, right? They got the hypothyroid diagnosis and they have no idea that there's an association with diet and hypothyroid because most endocrinologists, as you know, don't train in nutrition and have no idea that there's a correlation. So they just tell their patients, diet's not important, just stay on the, the Synthroid for the rest of your life type deal. But those are some of the really common ones. Yeah, and that's critical when we look at thyroid hormone. That's so important for brain function. Really helps turn on the mitochondria within the brain. So brain symptoms are oftentimes a sign that there's issues going on with uh, lower levels of thyroid hormone production, and and most typically because of antibody damage to the thyroid tissue. Just wanted to interrupt this podcast to tell you about Peak Tea. These are amazing teas that are specifically designed to enhance the benefits of fasting, helping you get deeper levels of autophagy and cellular healing, helping to shut down your appetite and support healthy weight management. They're delicious. They won't break your, your fast. They use the highest quality uh, cold brew crystallization. 
that gently preserves active compounds at their maximum potential with no prep or brewing needed. They're 100% organic and triple toxin screen for pesticides, heavy metals, and toxic mold, which is really common in tea. A lot of teas have heavy metals. They've got pesticides. They've got molds. Not with peak tea. It's the highest possible purity. And that's why I love it. And this is why my family and I drink this regularly. We really love the bergamot fasting tea. We know that bergamot is loaded with theoflavins to nourish your gut bacteria, support digestion, and boost satiety. And great, it's really great for energy. And bergamot itself is great for, for your skin. It has a flavorful burst of citrus and it's oils enhanced digestion. They provide unique mood boosting properties. You're gonna love that. They also have the ginger green fasting tea. We know ginger is great for your digestion, great for keeping inflammation under control. We know the catechins in green tea are some of the most powerful immune supportive compounds that you can put in your body. Also really great for stimulating autophagy, downregulating inflammation in the body. So really, really powerful stuff there. And then you've got cinnamon herbal fasting tea, which is amazing for supporting balanced blood sugar and helping manage cravings. I love the cinnamon herbal fasting tea, really great flavor to that. And guys, Peak is extending a limited time offer just for my audience. You can get 5% off plus a free pouch that comes with 20 premium samples. So you can try different flavors when you purchase the fasting bundle. Head over to peaklife.com forward slash drjockers and use the code drjockers or D-R-J-O-C-K-E-R-S for a special discount. Guys, Peak has over 15,000 15, five-star reviews. That's a lot of reviews. This has been well-tested. Try it for yourself risk-free with their 30-day satisfaction guarantee, and you'll either love it or you get your money back. So that's peaklife.com, spelled P-I-Q-U-E-L-I-F-E.com slash D-R-J-O-C-K-E-R-S, and use the coupon code DRJockers for a complimentary gift and 5% off. And so when we look at gluten, when it when it's affecting and causing neurological symptoms, is that mostly because it's just driving up inflammation in the body or is it actually impacting, like, is it a, actually a nerve toxin? Both. Um, gluten is a nerve toxin and, and there are a number of studies and I've seen this clinically where people are making antibodies against their own neurological tissue and mm -hmm. those are measurable. Those are things that you can actually measure. Um, so that's one aspect is that it drives the autoimmune process against the, the nerves against the brain. And, and the other is generalized inflammation. Of course, if you're, if you're eating uh, a food that causes or drives up inflammation, one of the primary hormones that your body will make in response to chronic inflammation is cortisol, which elevates blood sugar and causes glycation. And now you end up with, you know, they call Alzheimer's type three diabetes mm -hmm. now, right? So yep. you've got excessive blood sugar being dumped, even if the diet is not high carbohydrate. And that's as a result of that excessive you know, release of cortisol. Um, so, and a lot of doctors will treat it with more cortisol. So when they give a corticosteroid, now blood sugar is going up even higher and blood pressure is going up higher. And of course that increases the risk for neurological conditions um, as dementia, but also stroke. Uh, and then there's, you know, there's other evidence showing that, that just not necessarily looking at antibodies per se, but just looking at neurological conditions and gluten-free diets. So one of them being seizure disorder and epileptics, you know, epileptics, um, there's a lot of research showing that gluten-free diets actually improve or reduce seizure uh, in, in patients that have been diagnosed with epilepsy. Uh, there's a lot of research on keto, 
which a keto is a gluten-free diet, right? So you're, you know, you're going, basically you're going gluten-free, but you're also going low carb simultaneously. And that that has a major impact on neurological healing and that can affect epileptic seizure disorder. Then you also have anxiety and depression. There are a number of studies showing that when people go gluten-free, a lot of times their anxiety diminishes or their depression goes away. And I think that, that, you know, some studies show there's an antibody connection where there's an autoimmune process to that. And other studies just simply re recognize it through inflammatory markers like CRP elevations and mm -hmm. gluten-free diets. So I think, I think it's probably a little bit of all of the above. In my experience, it is. And that's why I try to be as thorough and, and measure as much of this as I can so that I can be as objective about understanding why something is happening to a person as opposed to not. Yeah, for sure. And you also talked about how gluten sensitivity can cause neuro, uh, can cause nutrient deficiencies. You mentioned B vitamins earlier. What are some of the other major nutrient deficiencies that are associated with gluten sensitivity? Yeah, the, the top five that I have seen over the years, um, number one is iron. Mm -hmm. uh, so iron deficiency, you know, leads to oxygen deprivation to the brain and it can cause clouded thinking and, and, uh, and anxiety and trouble sleeping. Um, so iron's number one, number two is vitamin B12, number three is zinc, number four is vitamin D, and number five is omega-3, specifically mm -hmm. EPA. I see a lot more EPA deficiency uh, from the omega-3 family than any other type. Um, and again, EPA regulates inflammation. Vitamin B12 regulates myelin production around nerves, so you can get neuropathy, anxiety, depression. With that, iron deficiency can cause very similar symptoms to iron deficiency. And then you have um, vitamin D deficiency and vitamin D is one of the major immunoregulators of the body. So a lot of times people with vitamin D deficiency have predispositions toward developing autoimmune disease against all of their tissues, not just any one in particular. Uh, and then with omega-3, again, the omega-3 regulation, just purely regulating inflammation and quantitatively how much inflammation occurs as a course of daily action, because we all make inflammation to regulate, you know, maintenance and repair of cells. Uh, it's when that inflammation is it, it's higher than our ability to heal or repair it, where we go into a repair deficit. So those are five key nutrients that I see on a very regular basis in people with gluten sensitivity. Yeah, and that's interesting. Vitamin D deficiency. Now, obviously, a, a good percentage of our population is vitamin D deficient. We get it naturally from the sun. You know, we obviously get it get a little bit from from our nutrition, from egg yolks, from organ meats, things like that. But very very small amounts. Mostly we're getting it from the sun. So were you saying that, was it the vitamin D deficiency that perhaps uh, increased maybe the inflammatory reaction somebody with gluten sensitivity had? Or was it that some that the individual that had gluten sensitivity has the, the genetic markers and then also is consuming gluten, increasing inflammation in their body, they're not able to absorb the same level of vitamin D that they would if they were on a healthier diet uh, a more genetically congruent diet, and they were exposed to the same amount of sun. Yeah, so I mean, vitamin D is a fat-soluble vitamin, right? And one of the hallmarks of celiac disease is fat malabsorption. We look at, mm. at a number of different fat malabsorption markers in the stool to identify whether or not that's actually happening. And so vitamin D being a fat can be affected in that way. It's also important to know that many people with gluten have um, liver gallbladder issues and so what happens if, if they've had their gallbladder removed, it's also going to affect their fat absorption of vitamin D from the diet. So they may have be affected in that way. But the other reason I, I speculate that vitamin D deficiency is so great 
uh, in these patients is mainly because they're inflamed. They're eating food that is inflaming them. And so they are using more vitamin D Mm. in an effort to put the fire out, in an effort to regulate the immune reaction. And so they're, they're, it's not even necessarily that they may not be getting enough. It's just that yeah. their demand for it goes up to try to put out the fire. Yeah, that makes sense. Another nutrient that, that I commonly see deficient is magnesium as well. Are you seeing that associated with gluten sensitivity? I do. It's it's a very common one as well. It's just those were my, what were my top five. Right? Yeah. Those are the ones we see more of than anything sure. else. Yeah, yeah. Magnesium deficiency plays a critical role when it comes to brain health, neurological function. Um, you know, so there's a lot of issues with that as well. Yeah, no doubt. I mean, I, I I see the gambit. I mean, when we do our tests for for nutrition, I mean, we're usually testing all 40 essential nutrients in, in everyone that walks through the door. And so um it 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 widely varies, right? That's one thing I've learned is that you you could you could guess. At saying everybody needs X, Y, or Z, mm -hmm. and and even if they were the most common, you could be wrong a lot of the time because mm -hmm. it it varies so widely. And I think that just bases basically it boils down to biochemical individuality. You know what yeah. what one person may suffer with as a deficiency uh, may not be the same as somebody else, and for a very various number of reasons. Yeah, for sure. Now, when it comes to uh, healing naturally, healing. Uh, the body when it comes to neurological conditions, somebody has gluten sensitivity. Is it enough to just go on a gluten-free diet? Sometimes. Yeah. Mm -hmm. I mean, I've had people write into me, Hey, I read your book and it changed my life. My neuropathy went away. I had it for 20 years. Um, I get letters like that on a regular basis. So whether or not they were supplementing, don't know. They, they weren't forthright with all of the things they were doing, but people reach out to me all the time, just, just saying how much diet changed, improved or impacted it. And I've seen it both ways. I've also seen cases where we had people with severe neuropathy. They changed their diet. It didn't go away. Uh, and it was because they had developed such a severity of nutritional deficit mm. that we really had to, to supplement through that to get them over the hump. And in some cases, because the damage to the GI tract was so extensive, we had to supplement them with much higher doses to create passive diffusion absorption through the GI tract so that they were capable of getting the nutrition that they needed in order for them to just heal from the, from the previous years of gluten induced damage. Yeah, that makes sense. And I know in your book, no, no grain, no pain, you put people on a grain free diet. And so a lot of people will go on a gluten free diet and they'll look for foods that are labeled as gluten free. Um, but a lot of those foods obviously have corn, they have different grains, rice, made out, rice is very common, what's considered a gluten-free alternative. Um, so that's, a, 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 you know, that's, we're finding that in a lot of the foods. And then also you had mentioned how a keto diet can be really helpful. Naturally, a ketogenic diet, originally how it was taught was gluten-free, but now a lot of food manufacturers are actually making keto approved foods and they're using wheat gluten as one of their top ingredients. So you really do have to be careful. You can't just look at a label that says, says gluten-free. Yeah, I know. Unfortunately, anytime a diet reaches mass popularity, the, the food manufacturers get a hold of it, warp it, manipulate it, and create garbage for the rest of the world. Unfortunately, a lot of those people who aren't aware continue to struggle. They think they've gone on a healthy diet that should have resolved a lot of their issues, and they're still struggling. I see that a lot. And people that come to me who fall in keto and they're buying a lot of the keto product as yeah. opposed to just eating real foods uh, right. going in that direction. Yeah, 
For sure. And in your book, uh, No Grain, No Pain, you have actual meal plans, right? So you set up meal plans, uh, you know, that really help people and guide people through this grain-free diet. What are some of the big challenges that people have when they first start coming off of grains? Like as far as, you know, just kind of changing out what they're normally eating and what, what kind of good replacements can they make? I think the biggest challenge is analysis paralysis. They just don't know what to eat. So they need a reference or resource to kind of give them recipes and ideas. And the other challenge to that is that they don't cook their own meals. Like they eat out a lot. So it's, it's yeah, like, yeah. okay, you got to worry about cross-contamination. You got to worry about hidden gluten because those can be deal breakers for a person's recovery. So I think it's the analysis paralysis of, I can't eat out. I've got to focus on what I can make. So what can I make, right? And so it's a learning curve of recipes. One of the things that we do at Gluten-Free Society is I have, a, I have a chef that works for us and he's making new recipes all the time. And we just put them up at Gluten-Free Society. It's free, gluten-free recipes. You just click on that tab and you can pull up hundreds of food ideas and recipe ideas to help you to help you navigate through through that aspect of it. I'd say the other biggest challenge psychologically is dealing with family and friends who don't understand that a little bit is not okay, right? 20 parts per million of gluten, that's a breadcrumb, can cause inflammation for two to three months. And so if you're trying to recover from a chronic autoimmune disease and every weekend you get a gluten bomb on your cheat day, um, you're not gonna make it very far. Mm. The diet's not gonna really reap a lot, as much benefit for you as you would have hoped. So you've gotta really be clear around family and friends that you know, you've gotta stick to the diet and you need their support, um, otherwise, it becomes a constant battle against the very people who love you, who just want you to have one little bite or try, you know, especially around the holiday season, you know, just try one little cookie. It won't hurt you, you know? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And that's amazing. That one little breadcrumb for certain individuals that are very gluten sensitive can cause a cascade of inflammation and damage in the system for up to two to three months. Yeah. Unbelievable. Yeah. I mean, that the half-life of a gluten antibody is is like, uh, well, ranges from 30 to 60 days. That means what that means is when you eat gluten, you make antibody against it. Um, and that antibody creates a complex that damages your tissue. That's part of what causes the inflammation. And that antibody's half-life, meaning it takes, half-life is the, the half the time that it is required for your body to break it down, right? So the half-life of a gluten antibody is 30 to 60 days. So if you're lucky at 30 days, you've gotten rid of half of that level of antibody, damaging antibody. If you're not lucky, it took you maybe closer to 60 days, right? And then and then that's just half of it. You still got the other half still in you that you have to still metabolize out. And that's that's why it's so important to know that because a fire, which is what inflammation is, it's a chronic fire, just like a campfire, it's very hard to start one. Uh, but it's very easy to keep it burning. Uh, what do you do for a campfire? You just have to throw a little fuel on it periodically and it will keep burning. And that's what people do is they think that that Sunday meal or that little cheat here or there, it, 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 they'll be okay with it. And they, they will be better avoiding gluten most of the time. Don't get me wrong. Like, you know, 95% less gluten is better than, uh, than yeah. nothing. But if you're really trying to overcome autoimmunity, remember that that process takes about 18 months. And if you keep agitating your immune system once a week, it's it's going to take you closer a lot longer if you ever even do overcome it. My experience, 18 months is the quick side of of a recovery. Three years is the non-compliant side mm. of recovery. I just wanted to interrupt this podcast to tell you guys about Paleo Valley Bone Broth Protein Powder. 
Unlike most companies, which are actually creating their bone broth protein from the hides or the skin of the animal, which are unfortunately less nutrient dense, Paleo Valley actually uses the bones and they do a slow simmering process to extract as much of the key collagen protein as possible. Collagen protein is rich in some key amino acids, things like glycine, proline, and hydroxyproline, which are needed for healthy skin, healthy joints, a healthy gut lining, healthy muscles, just a healthy body in general. Collagen helps to reduce the appearance of fine lines and wrinkles. It also helps to reduce cellulite, and it's critical for anti-aging as it may regenerate bones and it helps build muscle and support heart health. So I'm a huge fan of using collagen or bone broth protein, but I want to make sure that mine is as pure as possible. And that's why I love Paleo Valley because they use 100% grass-fed beef bones from cows that are never fed GMO grains. And they even test for over 40 pesticides to ensure this is the purest bone broth protein on the market. It also has over three grams of glycine per serving, 15 grams of total collagen protein. Now that three gram dose of glycine is key because research has shown that that helps improve sleep by lowering body temperature and boosting serotonin levels. And serotonin is a key precursor to melatonin. That's the sleep hormone. And it does this without causing daytime drowsiness. So if you have your collagen protein during the day, you're not gonna get drowsy, but it will help you sleep better at night. So guys, check out paleovalley.com. Use the coupon code JOCKERS at checkout to save 15% off to get your bone broth protein. You can also go to paleovalley.com forward slash drjockers to get the Paleo Valley bone broth protein or any of the great Paleo Valley products and use the coupon code JOCKERS at checkout to save 15% off today. Now, what are some tips for people that are eating out? Maybe they're traveling, things like that. What are some tips? What can they look for when it comes to restaurants? What should they say to their their waiter um, or their server when uh, when they're ordering their meal? I think keep it simple: meat and veg, right? Mm -hmm. Cooked separately. I don't want any. I don't want cooked near the breaded stuff. You know, ideally, if you're having to eat out, you would call ahead and figure out which restaurants might cater, which restaurants are going to serve mm -hmm. organic. I always say go eat where there's a chef, not where there's a cook. There's less mistakes. Chefs take more pride in their in their food and cooks are generally just a hired gun that are going to cook whatever recipe that is, you know, on the menu. Uh, the other reason I say eat where there's a chef and not a cook is because chefs use real ingredients and cooks generally use food that's delivered from the back door from Cisco. And if you know that big food conglomerate, you know, the chicken breast they're delivering is probably more likely going to be chicken parts that are glued together by meat glue. And so meat glue has actually been shown to irritate people with gluten sensitivity. So you could eat what you think is a chicken breast that's actually like a chicken hot dog. If your chicken breast tastes like a hot dog, you know you're getting meat glue. Mm -hmm. um, and that's something that will irritate or exacerbate a, a celiac or a gluten sensitive individual. So eat where there's a chef, call ahead. That way you don't get there and you're the hold up. And a lot of people get embarrassed. Oh, I don't want people to fuss over my diet needs. Well, call ahead, look at the, look at the menu, know what you're going to order. And that way, when you get there, you can be concise with the waiter and kind of get, get more, um, uh, more of a feeling as to whether or not you even trust the food. The other thing you, you could do too. And one of the things I do is, um, I take a food suitcase 
I mean, I'm packing beef jerky, sometimes dried fruit yeah. nuts, things that are easy that have a longer shelf life that if I get in a bind and I'm going to do some fasting on that vacation, mm-hmm. you know what I mean? Like I'm yeah. going to do a little bit of more fasting and I'll have some of my own food that I know I can trust that I'll eat. And if I come across a restaurant or two here or there that I know is going to serve organic fare and give me this, some options with where I feel comfortable, I'm not getting massively cross-contaminated. I'm, I might I patronage those types of places. Yeah, I agree. I think it's really important to do some research on the front end and that will save you a lot of time. And then also just make sure the the server knows that, especially if you are somebody that has a significant gluten sensitivity, just let them know on the front end, like, hey, I have a significant gluten sensitivity. I really need to make sure that the food I'm consuming doesn't have it in it. Um, and, you know, they'll obviously scramble around to make sure that, um, you know, that they're cooking your food kind of separate from, from other people. Cause the last thing a restaurant wants is, a you know, an ambulance showing up at the front door, not good for business. So, um, yeah, they'll, they'll make amends for you there. Now, what are some key supplements that you find, especially on the front end, like somebody that maybe that's had maybe a diagnosis with celiac, right. That, um, or somebody that's just, you know, is dealing with gluten sensitivity and they've got a lot of gut issues. What are some of the main supplements on the front end that you think can really support that person as they're initiating the healing process? If we're guessing without tests, yeah, guessing, yeah, yep. uh, hands down a multivitamin, a high quality multivitamin, because you want to just get kind of a shotgun of everything coming into you because of the years of gluten induced malnutrition. Uh, number two, an omega-3 fatty acid with a higher concentration of EPA than DHA, not cod liver oil. Cause if you do cod liver oil, you get a ton of DHA, but you won't get hardly any EPA. So what ratio do you like? Like a three to two kind of EPA to DHA ratio? Or? Yeah, three to two or even two to two, something closer yeah. to, to equal, but not, not DHA mm-hmm. heavy. Mm. Uh, and then, and then the other thing that I would suggest is B12. I mean, just based on the level of, of deficiency, the commonality of the deficiency, because it's uh, it's super common, actually gluten in a number of studies has been shown to damage parietal cells in the stomach, which destroy the ability to make intrinsic factor. And so B12 being, um, you know, needing intrinsic factor for its absorption, it's kind of got a unique mechanism in regards to that. So B12 is very important as well. Other supplements that I would suggest, a good gluten-busting enzyme. I I have something called Gluten Shield that we use that is designed to degrade gluten should you be eating out or going through your learning curve. And let's say you you got cross-contamination, you didn't know, but you took the enzyme on the front end of the meal to just basically help protect you Mm. and break that gluten down. That That potential for accidental exposure is very important. And then, you know, beyond those things, a lot of people with gluten sensitivity have a lot of damage to the GI tract. And so a good quality digestive enzyme might also be um, a good idea for those individuals just so that they can start digesting and absorbing the nutrients from the real food, the non-gluten food that they're going to start eating. And that way, because I'm a food first kind of a guy, I think you've got to have food right. Supplements are supplemental it's a good food. You can't eat bad food and take a bunch of supplements and expect that your health is going to be superior. So the enzymes themselves at the front end can ve- can be very, very effective and helpful at helping you get the most out of the real food that you're eating. Yeah, for sure. And then, you know, there's some gut soothing agents too that can help be supportive, like things like L-glutamine, uh, deglycerinated licorice root, aloe vera. Are you a fan of things like that? Yeah, actually, I have a, I have a formula with a lot of those different mm-hmm. mucilaginous to kind of help coat and line the mm-hmm. GI tract for those individuals who are really struggling 
in that way. And then another strategy too, and I know you're aware of this one is fasting. Oh yeah. Because fasting is one, you know, one of the quickest ways to help the gut heal non-supplementally is just letting it rest, right? Mm -hmm. Don't irritate an already irritated GI tract. And sometimes the act of eating itself is the irritant when the gut is, is trying to recover. So that can be helpful. And then vitamin C is one of my favorite. Um, one of the things I'll do if somebody gets gluten exposure, one of the things we have them do is flush out their bowel mm -hmm. with high doses of vitamin C. And the way we do that is it's basically it's it's in, and we do it in a powder form. So don't try this with pills. If you're using a vitamin C pill, um, you'll be miserable. Um, use a powdered form, but um, six grams of vitamin C every 15 minutes mixed in three ounces of water um, on an empty stomach, of course, um, and stay home. Like, because you're going to start <laughs> going to the bathroom and going to the bathroom aggressively. It's like prepping for a colonoscopy. So if you're like trying to go to work and do this, you're going to be back and forth to that bathroom. You might have an accident. So do this if you're staying home, but flush, flushing the bowel out with vitamin C does two things. One, it helps flush out any gluten, um, you know, that you were exposed to. Number two, there are studies that show that vitamin C actually there, there are cell studies that show that without vitamin C, gluten-damaged guts have a harder time healing. So saturating the GI tract with vitamin C gives it a nutrient that's really uh, quite beneficial at, at healing the damage. And so that's why it's one of my favorite you know, things for people to do post-accidental gluten exposure um, to help them get back on track. Yeah, that's a really great tip. And this has been a fantastic interview, Dr. Osborne. So many great great uh, tips here and so many great, such great information when it comes to really understanding gluten sensitivity. And I know you've got your book, No Grain, No Pain, which is a fantastic book that I recommend all the listeners go out and get, No Grain, No Pain. Where else can people find out more about you? I know you have the Gluten-Free Society. Where can people access all your resources there? Yeah, glutenfreesociety.org or .com, either one. Um, you know, we have, we have tons of resources, thousands of videos and, and articles that you can read and just type in what you're looking for related, related to gluten. And you'll probably find an answer. And if you don't email us, because we want to make sure that we have all the resources on the net. And if there's something you're, that we're missing that you need an answer to, we want to, we want to be able to help you with that. And, uh, and, and then number two, we have a masterclass. So, so mm -hmm. glutenology the masterclass. And if you go to gluten-free society, it's free. You just sign up for it. It's absolutely free. You can take it. It's a 14 hour long masterclass. It'll teach you everything you ever wanted to know and more about how to go gluten-free the right way. Awesome. Well, again, thanks so much for your time, your expertise here. Always enjoy our conversations and guys definitely go out, check out no grain, no pain, check out gluten-free society and uh, check out his masterclass. And we'll see you all in a future presentation. Be blessed everybody. Well, that's all for this show. And I wanna thank you again for spending your valuable time with me today. And if there was something you heard in this interview that you have questions on, or you wanna dive into deeper, then drjockers.com is the best place to go. If you enjoyed this episode, please consider taking just a quick moment and giving us a great review. Your reviews help us influence more people and transform more lives. And if you took something valuable away from this episode, then please share it with someone in your life you know it can help. We'll see you soon on a future podcast. Be blessed, everybody.